the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and uh, I want to welcome you back to a, a continuation of our discussions about the Quranic manuscripts, early Quranic manuscripts, and how they will debunk even the early Islamic history. Today, we're going to talk about a very interesting find known as the Birmingham Folios. And, you know, if you've been following the news, for instance, on BBC or other outlets, you would have noticed how our Muslim friends were jumping up and down the fact that they finally found something that can be dated all the way to the Prophet's time. Or is it? That's why we're going to talk about it and show you that even this find, the Birmingham Folios, will prove that most likely it's not even Islamic. In fact, I would call it the source text for the Quran. With me here to unpack all of this is Dr. J. Dr. J, I remember, you know, when this came about. In fact, it was during that time when I even interviewed you uh, on my podcast to talk about it. And you did write, uh, you know, uh, a few pages to respond to it. Uh, and so did uh, Gabriel Said Reynolds as well, among others. 2015, I think it was July to 22nd. All over the papers, BBC put it front and center. Uh, this fellow, David Thomas, who you know personally, Dr. David Thomas out of Birmingham, was crowing about it. it. was just, this is the greatest find in the last 1,400 years. We now have the original Quran. This is the Quran that Muhammad read. This is the Quran that Muhammad wrote. This is the Quran that Muhammad received. And we can prove it because we have now carbon dating. And if you carbon date something, it is so accurate that we can therefore use it. And, of course, this was, uh, you can see, uh, let me just put up the slide here, and you can see a picture of, <clears throat> of uh, Dr. David Thomas. If you just go ahead to the slide that we're looking at now, when you look at the slide, you'll see he is the curator for the Birmingham Library. You can see why he was excited about it, because for uh, Western scholars, they want to placate Muslims whenever they can. They want to give Muslims what they're looking for. The Muslims are ones that are claiming that Muhammad received this between 610 and 622. What better way to placate Muslims than to find actually these uh, the manuscript of the Quran from that time period? It was found by accident. Uh, uh, what's the name of the lady that found it, actually? She's the one that wrote the book on um uh, on the palimpsest. Uh, but anyway, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Are you talking Abla uh, Fidel? Fidel. Fidel, yeah. She was in, in Alba Fidel, I'm sorry. She was there in the Birmingham library. She was looking at these manuscripts of the Quran and these two folios fall, fell out. They weren't part of the manuscript that she was looking at and she noticed that they didn't have any diacritical marks, they didn't have any vowelization, which means that they're from the 7th 7th or 8th century. So she sent them down these two folios, just two pages, and she sent them down to Oxford University to be tested by carbon dating. 
we like to use carbon dating, uh, but the problem with carbon dating is this. Well, let me ask you, why would you not trust carbon dating? Well, uh, I mean, it's not really accurate in the sense to give you a precise date. It will give you a range. No, and I don't have a problem with that. But the other problem is carbon dating only dates when the animal died. The animal, it doesn't also, uh, you cannot use it to, for instance, date the ink itself. No, you can't date ink because yeah. ink is, comes from many different pigments that are amalgamated together from many different places, many different time periods. They could be hundreds of years old mixed with those that are very recent because you change the pigments depending on what color you want. Therefore, it's impossible to debate ink. You have to date, date only the skin. And these are animal skins. These are goat skins. And when the animal dies, then... Uh, the the carbon starts to exude and you can date the amount of deterioration over hundreds of years. So this one was dated from 568 to 645. Muhammad was born in 570, according to the standard Islamic narrative, exactly. and died in 632. So this covers his lifetime, two years before he was born and about seven years after he died. Well, more than that, about eight years after he died or whatever, about roughly 10 years after he died. So if that is the case, if that is the case... They do have a case, and you can see why. To celebrate. Yeah. To celebrate. But I, I just want to, I want to look to the next slide here, because when you look at the next slide, you need to ask, there's a picture of the foliage. Look at, this is not a whole manuscript. This is not a whole Quran. They were all talking about, this is the Quran. This is the Quran that Muhammad made. No, it's two pages. Two, there it is. That's the entire uh, Birmingham folio. You can see it there uh, uh, in this, in the picture. It's front of back, two folios, two pages, and it's 33 verses. From where? Well, it's from the Quran, you're correct, in chapter 18 to chapter 20. But chapter 18 to chapter 20 have 343 verses. This is only 33. So this is just a one-tenth of even those three chapters. Correct. correct. The Quran itself have over 6,236 verses. 33 verses do not make a Quran. It's a fa- just a small facsimile of the Quran. That's the first problem. So stop calling this a Quran. Now, the dates... I'm willing to go with these dates, actually. I think these are good. That's fine. It's a huge uh, amount of dates because that's the problem with carbon dating. It's very inexact. 568, 645, let's go with that. What you need to do next is look at the content. Look at what's inside these folios. And there are three stories that are inside these folios. The first story uh, is the story of the seven sleepers of Ephesus. This is the the seven sleepers with the dog. They go into this cave. They're running away. They go to sleep. And when they wake up, they wake up 300 years later. And they find out that they have, or however many, maybe it's it's more than 300, but it's a lot of years, hundreds of years later. It is around 300 for sure. And you can go to Ephesus. I've been there. Uh, my sister lives very close to it. I've been to where the cave is. I, there is a restaurant right there that we went and ate at called the Seven Sleepers of Ephesus. It's a very long tradition. And that cave was there long before Islam. A Christian tradition, basically. It's a Christian tradition. And it comes from the uh, Syrian bishop, Jacob of Sadok, who talks about it. Mm-hmm. And our good friend, uh, Talked about it this morning when we were on the phone call with them. This is Jay, the same Jacob Asado. This story comes from his writings. He was writing this in the 6th century, 512. So this is about 100 years before the Quran even came into existence. Because the Quran only came into existence from 610 to 632. So roughly, uh, not quite uh, 100 years earlier, this story, it would have been all around the world at that time. That part of the world, it would have been a well-known story. That makes sense that it's in the Quran and because it's written in Arabic. 
Now, when you go to the other second story, uh, that is the the reference to, that's chapter 19, verse 91 to 98, comes straight out of the Proto-Evangelium of James, which was first written in 145. So this is a second century document. Right. Then it, re, re, uh, it reappears in the pseudo-gospel of Matthew in 600 AD, which makes sense because that was written right in the same area in the north where the Quran was put together to begin with. So it stands to reason that they've just lifted this out of the pseudo-gospel of Matthew, taken from the proto-evangelium of James yeah. in the second century. This is a body of what we call the infancy gospel. The infancy gospel. Yeah. Straight out of that material. Yeah. And then it's put into this book called the Quran in after, well, 600? No, I would say this is probably in the 8th, 8th century that was added into it. And then, of course, chapter 20, verse 1 to 40, is the story of Moses, which comes straight out of the Bible. Uh, that you can, the story of Moses is in uh, uh, Surah 1, Surah 20, Ayah 1 to 40, is right, uh, nothing more than right uh, lifting out of the Bible itself, which comes from 1400 BC. Can you see what's going on here? What have I just told you? And what yeah, have I just it's said it's you? a theme. Uh, either it's a Christian uh, uh, heritage or something about Jesus or something about Moses. Which stands to reason. If you're going to create a book for a man who now is your prophet and you want to give him a book, you're going to have to go and find and look to see where the material is. You can't write it yourself. So you go to what already exists in Arabic. You go to what already exists. These were all in Arabic. By the 7th century and the 8th century, they were all written in Arabic. You lift them out and you slap them into it. You don't put them all in sequence. You don't even put them in together. You put them in whatever, which, whichever way you find them. And that's why the there in chapter 18, chapter 19, and chapter 20. They only make up 10% of those chapters. To say that this is the Quran and to say that this is for Muhammad, not at all. These are all predate Islam. They all predate Muhammad, and they all predate the Quran. If indeed the Muslims claim the Quran was put together between 610 and 632, do you notice these are all dates that are earlier than that? That's right. And by the way, this is part of even other folios that Yassin Dutton studied. I think in total are nine folios. Pat Andrews right now, Dr. Pat Andrews, who is our, our researcher, you use him, I use him, he is actually going and finding that lots of this material. He is finding a whole litany of the Quran that comes from St. Ephraim from the 4th century, written originally in Aramaic, then transposed into Arabic, and uh, that's where you get the problems. Once you take it from Aramaic into Arabic, you start bastardizing it. You start making, you start, really, you, you start destroying it, and you eradicate any of the notions of what the original Aramaic is. In these cases, they didn't bastardize the text so much because there was no reason to. Uh, what they wanted to bastardize was any reference to Jesus as God. That they took out and remade made it nothing more than the prophet or the Nabi of Allah, the prophet of God. Over and over again, they take Jesus' name out and they put him as the praised one. Amen. Amen. What are we going to talk about next? Well, then we're going to get into the most infamous material, and that is the Kidats. Uh, wait till we get to the Kidats. This is what destroyed the preservation of the Quran by one woman who is only five foot two. We are going to uh, wait with anticipation, of course, uh, to hear more about this. Of course, myself and Jay have covered this multiple times, and we will continue to do this. But I say this, for those of you who are watching right now, probably wondering about what he meant by that. And indeed, a powerful woman of God. Uh, thank you, brother. Thank you, everyone. This is Al-Fadi over now. God bless.
Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Greeting, everyone. This is Al-Fadi. Welcome back to a continuation of our assessment of early Quranic manuscripts and how those manuscripts basically are so damaging to the history of Islam and the Quran in this case. But today we're going to talk even beyond just the manuscript. We're going to talk about the so-called Qira'at readings, variant readings, if you wish. And we really titled it very simply this, how a five-foot-two woman, I would like to call her a woman of God, destroyed the Quran. And indeed, she did. Who is that woman? And why are we talking about her? Well, I'll let Dr. J answer that question. Dr. J, tell us more. Okay, to understand, we need a little bit of background. Now, for what the Muslims are telling us is that there, if we said in our previous episodes, there is an eternal Quran, has always existed, sent down over a period of 22 years from 610 to 632, and was finalized and written down during the time of Uthman in 652. And for the last 1400 years, not one letter, not one word has changed. Those are the four claims, right? If those are the four claims, you kept, I, I said from the very beginning of these episodes, we need to find those manuscripts. And if we find anything that shows that there are different words, different letters that would destroy the whole notion of what the Quran is saying in chapter 85, verse 22, in chapter 10, verse 15, chapter 18, verse 27, and chapter 15, verse 9. Well, here this five foot woman named Hatu Tosh. She's my colleague. She has worked with me since 2013. Almost nine years we've worked together. She is the one that took over my ministry and I gave it to her when I left London uh, in 2017. And she has been going by leaps and bounds way beyond what I was able to do. But back in 2013, she came across six or seven of these Qurans in North Africa that were different, all Arabic. And she said, something's wrong here. We can't have different Qurans. And so she was the one that brought him home. And I said, well, let's take him down to Speaker's Corner. So we took him down to Speaker's Corner. Look at the slide here. And I want to show you this slide. Here's the slide of us down at Speaker's Corner. The ones on the left. There we are holding him up, our team. That's Hatuntosh on the bottom slide with the glasses, yeah, with her mouth open, saying, stop it, because they're trying to grab these these facsimiles that we show of example after example. We took about maybe 25 of these examples and started going through them, show them how different they were. And, of course, it, the crowd just could not stand it. They were just grabbing them, trying to tear it. Fortunately, we had uh, plasticine them. Uh, that, so that they didn't, have, they would laminate them, sorry, so they would not tear. But look over on the right. Look at the guy that's on the right. That's Muhammad Hijab. Right. He was there, and he saw this, and he realized what was going on. He quickly went outside the crowd, and he started calling all the Muslims to join him, to leave what we were showing. He said, do not look at what they're showing you. Do not listen to what they were saying. So he pulled the crowd towards him. That happened in 2016, June of 2016. These 26 Qurans were all found by Hatuntosh. Uh, she found them going to Morocco, going to Jordan, and I think she also went to Yemen. Those three countries. Evidently, you can buy them all over. I have nine of them in my library. I've shown them many times. Uh, these are all Arabic. They are all 114 surahs, and they all come from the 8th, 9th, and 10th century. So they're over a thousand years old, these Qurans. Not the ones we have today. They are now newly published. So, this came, became such a problem, you can see back then, caused such a furore. So we went actually and did this three different times. Now, what happened? That was 2016. Let's come 
forward now or come uh, in more recently to 2020. And I want to show you this slide here. So let's go to this slide here and look at this uh, picture of Muhammad Hijab on the left and Dr. Yasakadi on the right. They did an interview about this problem. He had to find out. Dr. Yasakadi is a world leading authority on the Qira'at. He did his doctoral thesis on this very subject uh, on the Quran at Yale University, graduated in 1995. So he would be the world authority on the Qira'at. So Muhammad Hijab needed to go to him. And I just put here 12 points that came up in that interview. Let's go through them real quickly, one by one by one by one, to unpack what happened on June 8, 2020. We're now just past June 8, 2022. This is two years ago, just two years. Number one, he put his hand out and he says, which of the Qurans that we now have today was the one that was received by Muhammad, which is the one that's in, that's in heaven. So he knew that there were different Qurans. He knew that these did not agree. That's obvious. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask this question. Exactly. He definitely was troubled by something, and that's why he's asking that question. Because we had shown that. Because the very next day after we did that, we actually, Hatun and I, did a whole two hours of unpacking all of the 30 Qurans and showing example to him from example how each one of them disagreed with the Huff's text. We just did that off the top of our head in two hours, and that went up, and that went viral. So he said, this is what... What Yasser Qadi, now look at the number one. Number one, Yasser Qadi immediately came back and he says, this problem that you're showing me, this, this, this Huff's problem, the problem with, I'm sorry, not the, the Kira'at problem is the, well, well, this is what Muhammad Hijab first said. This is, this problem with the Huff's in the water and also the Kira'at in the Akhruf is the most popular question we're getting. We've got to have an answer, Yasser Qadi. And Yasser Qadi said that this Akhruf and this Kira'at has been the most difficult problem for the last thousand years, the most difficult problem for all the scholars. He says, when a Muslim or when someone converts to Islam, we don't tell them about it. When they become intermediate, then we tell them just to memorize it and not to question it and just regurgitate it out again. Mm -hmm. When they become advanced scholars like you and me, then we do a deep dive. Take my course, he kept on saying, take my course and you can do the deep dive. But do not film me now about this question. <clears throat> the reason why is because of what happened to him. Muhammad Hijab said, well, is this your crisis of faith that you had back in 1995 at Yale? And he recoils and said, no, 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 not a crisis of faith, a crisis of knowledge, a crisis of understanding, which obviously is a crisis of faith. That caused the crisis of faith. It caused a crisis of faith for Muhammad Hijab. He didn't know what to tell those people outside of, the, of, of that crowd. So he said, we, therefore, we cannot it. We must listen to it and we must recite it. It's almost like he was trying to persuade himself not to get back to this crisis again. It was fascinating to watch. He said, Muslims have a respect for the Quran, he said. And he says, we, there are certain questions we don't ask of the Quran. But when I was at Yale University getting my doctorate, there are no red lines. Right. See, in Islam, there are red lines. You don't go beyond, but not at Yale University, not here in the West. There are no red lines, and therefore all these questions were being asked. He was being inundated with them, and he didn't know how to answer him. So he said, this is a real problem. And, and then <clears throat> he turned to Muhammad Hijab, and he says, you in the East, Muhammad Hijab's living in London. I thought found it fascinating. He called him the East. What you're saying is 99% of the uh, Muslims live in the East. That means the rest of the Muslim world versus me, who lives in the West in Houston. You in the East... Your standard narrative has holes in it. Immediately when he said that, I started clapping. Now, we've grabbed that phrase that he said, and we have made it now a meme. 
standard Islamic narrative has holes in it, the S-I-N. And he was the one that mentioned that back on June 8th, has holes in it. And this became his signature piece. Now, he said that Western academics, he says, we have a real problem in the West because Western academics have come leaps and bounds since uh, the last hundred years. And they're looking at us Muslims as if we're the emperor with no clothes. (laughs) I loved it. What imagery that he was using. This He didn't realize that we were all watching this interview. (laughs) And he went on to say that the Kirat should never, therefore, be brought up in public. Never. This must be something we keep behind closed doors. Because no one would understand it, he said. And then he started almost being prideful. He says, in the last 25 years, you have never seen me talk about this. You will never see me talk about this in public. However, however, after this recording, you can come and take, we can talk about it. And Osorni, you can take my class, which to me is an oxymoron. If he's never talked about it, why would I want to take his class? Obviously, he doesn't know how to answer this question. And he wasn't answering it during this interview. And then he says, in 25 years, since my time at Yale University, I've never talked about this subject, nor will I ever. I'll take my class, take my class, and I'll tell you everything about it. And then he went into this kind of mantra. The Quran is the uncreated speech of Allah. It is preserved. The Quran is known. The Quran is mutawatir. He, it, it was, you could see it was a memorized speech that I hear Muslims doing all the time. From Yehai to the Gashover, this is what they're told. It is the uncreated speech. It is inimitable. It is preserved. It is known. It is mutawatir. That means there is, from the very beginning till today, there are no changes. Not one word, not one letter has changed. It is exactly the same that that which is preserved in heaven. They have almost memorized it and they are almost in a trance when they say he went into that he did this mantra right there in front of us and i said this is exactly what we want to see they do not want to get beyond that mantra they cannot they dare not get outside that comfort that red line that they cannot go beyond and then he says that when he uh, uh, asked a second time puts out his hand i'm giving you a blank sheet now He's been listening to all this. is almost about 28 minutes later. Puts us out his hand and he says, okay, yes, Kadi, please tell me which of these kidat, which are you going to write? Kadi recoiled again. Do not ask me this question. Finally, after 28 minutes, he finally had to acquiesce. And guess what he said? They are all the Quran. That's right. So, Hamza, you mean parts of the huffs and parts of... Yes, parts of the huffs going to be there. Some of the wash is going to be there. Maybe some of the Kaloon, maybe some of the Kassai. You just take them and you mix them around. You mix them around and that's the Quran that we get today. And I just started clapping because I realized neither did Yasef Qadi or Muhammad Ijab know what we know. There are over 90, 93,000 differences between these 30 different Qurans, all in Arabic, all over a 1,000 years old. No wonder this has been the most difficult question. But in that one felt sweep, he destroyed the preservation of the Quran in that one interview, all because of a five-foot-two-inch woman who introduced it there at Speaker's Corner, filmed it so the whole world could see it back on June 8th, 2016. And uh, it was amazing indeed, and we praise the Lord for you, your ministry, her ministry, and uh, for those who are laboring uh, to bring the truth to our Muslim friends. And we pray also for Muhammad Hijab, we pray for Yasser Qadi, we pray for others, who I'm sure they're well-meaning in, in what they are trying to explain, but sadly, uh, they, they're not standing on the truth. They're not standing on a solid foundation. What are we going to talk about next time? Dan Brubaker. So now we're going to go from a five foot two woman 
to a six-foot man who destroyed the Quran even better than what Hatun Trash did. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, n- n- next episode uh, when it comes to Dr. Grobaker, obviously, because uh, really he, he's the most gentle person you'll ever meet. And uh, with that in mind, uh, we will wait until next time. Thank you, everyone. God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.